Thank you to Wildcare and Wildlife Acoustics for sponsoring the Bat Chat podcast. Can you hear that? We can. Wildlife Acoustics creates the world's leading bat acoustic monitoring tools, designed to help scientists make impactful discoveries for our biologically diverse planet, turning this into this. Visit wildlifeacoustics.com to learn more. Wildcare are committed to supporting the ecology industry and are specialists in supplying a large range of monitoring, conservation and habitat management products, as well as equipment hire and service and repair. With a large range of products coupled with friendly and expert help and advice, Wildcare is a favourite supplier for ecologists nationwide. Go to wildcare.co.uk to see the full range and quote BatChat at the checkout for 10% off all bat detectors and bat boxes. This is BatChat from the Bat Conservation Trust, the podcast for anyone who loves bats. We're bringing you the stories from the world of bat conservation, from the people on the ground doing work that furthers our understanding of these magical creatures. There's a lot of information, experience and stories out there, and we're bringing it right to you. I'm Steve Rowe, I'm an ecologist, as well as a trustee of the Bat Conservation Trust. You can join the conversation online using the hashtag BatChat, that's all one word. This week, we're back at London's Natural History Museum, delving into the collections. The 56th Wildlife Photographer of the Year Awards featured an image of a Mozambican long-fingered bat with what appeared to be a spider attached to its face. Yes, this week, rather than going through drawers of bats, we're in the Diptera collection with Flygirl herself, the senior curator of Flies and Fleas, Dr Erica McAllister. In this episode, we're discovering the lives of wingless critters that live on bats, bat flies. It's hard not to be taken in by Erica's enthusiasm in this episode, and she has an important task for those of us who handle bats on a regular basis. So I'm sat in a glass-sided room in somewhere in the back of the Natural History Museum with Dr Erica McAllister, who is the senior curator of Flies and Fleas here at the Natural History Museum. And I probably need to start this podcast with an apology um, because when Professor Kate Jones finds out that Fly Girl has been on the podcast before she has, I'm in big trouble. Um, Hi, Kate. <laughs> I take it off air. You are both very good friends. Yeah, no, no, Kate's wonderful. But obviously we can't tell the world that, can we? <laughs> so everyone knows you as Fly Girl, but you actually hand-reared a Jamaican fruit bat called Susie out in the Caribbean. Can you tell us more about that and, and then we'll get on to the flies? Well, well, I, it wasn't just me. There was, um, I spent a lot of time going back and forth from Dominica. Uh, it's very good, and I work with an organisation called Operation Wallacea. Uh, so we have lots of students that come from all over the world, and they come and help us scientists do various different projects. Mine's obviously looking at the best creatures, the insects, specifically the flies, but I was working alongside the bat folks. And one of them, Melissa, she is a Canadian, and she's a very good, as well as doing all the bat surveys and trying to do bat research in Canada, she's one of the bat rehabilitators, so she will look after injured bats. We um, have a great fun. Once a week, we go canyoning. So we go charging up and down canyons. And on one of these trips, she found this Jamaican fruit bat, an immature one, mm. at the base of the canyon. So she was umming and ahhing, umming and ahhing what to do with it. And she was like, do you know what? I will hand rear it. She had five weeks that she was going to be on this trip before it ended. And it was going to be like, let's go for it. And um, we were all living in a communal area together. <laughs> so she just turned up one day, look, got a bat. And we were like, oh, okay. And... Susie, as she became known, 
took an absolute liking to her and me, <laughs> which was really cute because I'd be sitting there and there's his bat like sitting on me in my hair. And I have to say, I know, I know I shouldn't do this, but when the bat was purring, you know, when it, you come home from a hard day in the field and then the bat suddenly launches itself at you. And in the early days, it would just kind of like stagger all over the place and whatever, you'd pick it up. And then when it started to fly, you'd come home and it'd go poof into your chest and start purring. It was like a tiny little, like, flying cat, you know? It was like, but slightly, obviously, better than a cat. So, yeah, so it was quite amazing. And um, we were lucky to get work with the Forestry Commission out there. And Melissa was able to release it back to an area of a known colony. And they were able to carry on monitoring. So, fingers crossed. Susie has gone on with a little memory of two lovely people who helped her. Yeah, bless her. My gosh, when she used to eat mangoes, though, bats are messy. Mm. All over the place. I mean, and she was like, she was drunk. We had to be careful about what mangoes we gave her because, oof, there's definitely times you're like, Susie, behave. But yes, it was quite an experience. How long ago? How long ago? Twenty fifteen. Gosh, not that long ago. Not that long ago, but it was quite amazing. So, I'll be honest, I know nothing about bat flies at all. Spent last night researching, it was like, hey, <laughs> absolutely nothing. I've seen them in re- real life when we've handled bats and you see them, they look a bit like fleas crawling around. Oh, I think they look like drunk spiders. Yeah. Yeah, so when you go to grab them with your little forceps, uh, and they just go, and they go each everywhere, you know, they're like the queen on a chessboard, they can go absolutely anywhere. And they, they are... They're just like tiny crabs, you know? They've got that scuttle-like movement, so I just think they're quite fun. Obviously, bats hate it, because when you're trying to pick off (laughs) these bat flies, bats get really moody really quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so it has caused a lot of, you know, bat swearing when I've tried to remove them. Yeah, I mean, the ones I've seen are, they look like crabs. So for, for listeners who haven't seen them or aren't sure, can you just describe them other than they look a bit like a crab? So first off, there's two families of bat flies. There's Nycterabeards and there's Streblidae. And we won't get the Streblidae over here. Uh, They are generally found in the more Western world, the tropics, the subtropics. But we definitely get the Nycterabeards here. Now, there are only three species in the UK. Okay. Yeah, so there's not many of them. I think it's 17 across Europe. Um, And they are... Imagine a fly and then destroy every image you have of what you think a fly looks like. Because they have uh, most of the... Well, nycterabids are wingless. And if they have eyes, they're very small or very reduced. They have... Some of them have extraordinarily long legs, spindly legs, and then most fantastic claws at the end of them because they're supremely adapted to living on their hosts, the bats. The one image of bat flies that seems to become quite famous is one that... (laughs) Peter, Peter Nazrecki took yeah. and was in, in downstairs in the in the uh, wildlife photographer of the year image and it's just set on the face of a, of a Mozambique. I interviewed him. We had a lovely chat about it and uh, we just went off completely on them. I mean, what an amazing experience and he has a great job of going out there and looking at them. And, and being a photographer who spent a lot of time, he's able to give us so much um, observatory data which is it's great when you know we're getting lots of new stuff and it is it's a bit it's a bit of a weird image because it makes the bat fly look enormous and um, they're not really you know 
don't imagine a, you know, a greater pipistrol with a thing that big on its head. So it's a small bat, it's a weird image, but it is quite a stunning visualisation. Mm. Yes, it is, it's great. And, and really hairy as well, aren't they? Her suit, young man, her suit. Oh, OK. Yes. And uh, well, they're meant to be hairy. I mean, uh, you know, some of them are hairy. Actually, some of them are quite bald. It really does depend on the species. But it, it does, you know, enable the hairs as sensory organs. And it also enables them to, you know, snuggle in, in their hairy hosts. So what purpose do they serve in ecology <laughs> then? You know, what, what are they feeding on and what's the life cycles that we know of? OK, I just rolled my eyes for <laughs> the listeners. Because... What purpose question is one that I would just, just slam out the ballpark straight away, mate. Um, what's the purpose of humans? Right. So are you asking me what their ecological roles are? Yeah. Okay, that's a different story. Um, so uh, we'll, they are basically ectoparasites. So this is their role, and they do it very well. They have co-evolved, presumably... Um, after the expansion of the mammalian radiation, uh, bat flies are in the calypterates, which are some of the more uh, recently evolved species of flies. So it does kind of coincide. Uh, the superfamily they're from, the Hippobosoidea, also include the tetsi and the uh, Hippobosids, which are the bird flies. But we presume they went from bats to birds that way around in evolution. So as to their roles, they're, they're not pollinators, they're not doing anything, they're just doing exactly what they want to do. They are feeding on their hosts and providing a, a supreme habitat for the next generation. And you mentioned sexy flies there, and I was quite surprised when I was researching to find that bat flies give birth to live young and then realise they're in the same family as sexy flies, and then it all sort of clicked and made sense. I don't think people quite understand how amazing that is. <laughs> Genuinely, stop and think about it these flies all of the hip hop give birth to live nine it's called adrenotrophic viviparity so they produce an egg which hatches and then they internally rear the larvae so she's got lactating glands on the inside now that is and there's nothing else that does that there are a few examples in the Californids, the, the blow bottles blue flies where they do that but that is it across mm. the whole of the animal kingdom. How how weird is that? Given that they've evolved alongside bats or since bats, and also, you know, found out when listening to the uh, the Infinite Monkey Pig Cage when you had a conversation with Kate and said that those live young of those flies are about forty percent of the weight of the adults, which is the same <laughs> as bats. Is it just a coincidence, or is there is there something more integral between the relationship between bats and flies there? I had no idea about the bats. No. No, no. <laughs> I, I doubt it. I think that's... Um, unless there's... A, no, I wouldn't know. So you mentioned that some are wingless and some retain their wings until they can find a host. Um, for the wingless ones, you know, how are they moving between these different bat colonies and repopulating new areas? So they will generally stay to one host for their entire life. Okay. Okay, they don't, they don't move around. It's not like they fall off. If they fall off, that's a problem. Hmm. So, and that's probably why they're quite rare and probably why there's quite a few problems when it comes to bats moving around roosts and things like that. I mean, that's one way they can move around if bats move around, but if they kind of get separated and lost, it's pros and cons, isn't it? So the female, the males and the females will stay on the uh, the hosts all their life and they will only, the female only come off when she's about to give birth. 
And at that point, she goes to whatever the substrate the bats are on, be it in a tree or a cave. And at that point, and the larvae will then have to find a new host, and that's how it works. Oh, I see. So it's so there's a. I mean, how, do we know how long that takes? And is there a risk then, obviously, if they leave the host and the bats move on for whatever reason? Yeah, exactly. So I um, mean, they can survive a little bit without feeding, but they do need to obviously get a host. Nice. Yeah. It's very interesting. We'll talk more about the number of specimens you've got here at the, the History Museum in a minute when we go look at the collection. Um, you're undertaking some research into bat flies, and um, that's where this podcast came about. You've got a you've got a random jar of things here in front of us. You know what what is that research, and how can we as bat ecologists help you? Okay, well, there's two things. So there's a little bit of fun stuff from Dominica, which are these jar of flies here. So again, back to the colleagues I've been working over in the Caribbean. We've been picking off these bat flies for the last six years, seven years worth of data. And we want to look at the um, host specificity. It's a terrible word to say that for me. And um, we want to look because uh, they're not generally thought to be very host specific. Mm. So, but we would like to look at it. And it would be interesting because in terms of disease transmission and things like that, it would be very good to understand what's going on. So that's just me playing around with those. We may have some new species in there as well. Who knows? But in the UK, I am alongside a lovely lady called Denise Warman. We, back in 2020, um, launched the bat and birdfly recording scheme. Now, she has the greater part of this because I have a whopping three species of which I need to be start recording. However... Those three species um, are very difficult to record because obviously they're on bats. Mm. And as you know, um, unless you have a bat handling license, it's very difficult. Now, um, you know, I've come across bats in many situations and and we all go out with our little bat monitors and that's great. But it doesn't tell me it's not we haven't got a little bat, you know, bat fly monitor. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Mm. If I could just go beep, beep, beep like that. So what I'm asking is for all people... Uh, bat rehabilitators, anyone who does bat surveys, whatever, if you do come across any of the ectoparasites, I would very much like them. And, that, and that's any ectoparasite? Do you know what? Yes, because I'm also involved with the fleas, there's also bat bugs, there's bat lice, there's all sorts of things like this. And actually doing a comprehensive survey of actually what's out there I think would be very useful. Mm, yeah. I mean, I've, I've literally just finished this autumn doing autumn swarming survey seen it handle lots of bats and almost all of those bats have got some sort of ectoparasites on so I'm, imagine you're i'm hoping now I know, I know and you found out and i would imagine this time next year you'll be inundated i would imagine <sighs> well that's fine that's fine no it is good I, I i love an ectoparasite so that's very good and we are doing part of the darwin tree of life at the museum we're very heavily involved so it'd be really good to actually get some of these fresh ethanols so we can sequence them and find out what's going on so when people take these ectoparasites off, um, do you want them to record whereabouts on the bat they're found, whether it's on the main body or on the wing? And then what's the best way to get the sample to you and how? Okay, so um, first of all, in the strongest solution of ethanol, 100% is the best. Um, in vials, uh, and you can pop them into the post, that's no problem. You would be surprised at how many flies are winging their way around the post in the world. It's quite amusing. And as for data... So yes, I, I would like species, sex, location, age. Um, we are taking things like 
lactating non if they, if you if obvious things like that. Yeah. Um, position on the back would be cool, and roost. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what you'll be taking, all the data you'll be taking in your surveys, I would just like to crib that, please. Nice. So there you are, bat workers. Get get a, get your flies <laughs> into Eric next year. This jar you've got in front, there's. The, the, the whole jar is in solution, but then there's jars inside with also solution. Why are the two in two lots of solution? Ah, to make sure that um, when the ethanol does not dissolve, because we have to be... So, see, do you see that code? Yeah. Do you know what species that is? Not a clue. So they are... That's the Jamaican fruit bat. So this little bat on the 12th of July 2019 gave me that little bat fly. And it really is teeny tiny. <laughs> well, that's tiny. it. Imagine if you were a bat, you've got something the size. I mean, it's all in perspective because I haven't got a bat in my hand. Okay. But actually, if I had a bat in my hand, that is quite large, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like a kiwi walking around your body. Imagine a kiwi with long legs just walking around your body. That's the sort of size thing going on. So yeah, so I need to go through these. I would do some side mounts of them. I would do images. They have to have proper labels, and then they go into the collection. Talking of which, mm. do you want to come? Yeah, that way. Are you confused about where we are yet? I've seen the big outside of the X. I don't know where we are. So we are in the collection. So we've just walked through endless corridors and I've yeah. seen that little snapshots of know where we are, like the outside of the Darwin Egg, but roughly where are we? Okay, so we're in the cocoon now. Now I know obviously this is a podcast, <laughs> but what you can see, or what you can imagine, okay, is you've got one floor and there's one, two, three, four, five, six rows. And each row contains four aisles of double-sided cabinets of which there's... There's 28 per aisle of these cabinets, okay? Now, there's five floors of entomology, um, and there's another building, and then there's the pickles. So basically, what you're basically looking at now is 34 million insects. We can't visualise that, and I can't. I mean, the Diptra collection, we've only got between two and four million. It's a bit of a guess, and you'll understand why when you see some of the pickles. (laughs) But as well as the... The pin specimens, these are the sly collection. This is the beautiful Rothschild flea collection. And we move on to us with what was called Cuparia. And that's what the old hippobosids used to be. Now, I love these Ascodipodictions. These are the really ones. These are the mad, crazy bat flies. Have you read about these? No. These are the ones, the females... <coughs> There's one species, the females, when she gets pregnant, she rips her legs off and her wings off. Oh, I have heard that. Yeah, I go on about this one. Because yeah. it's like, really? It is the best example of bonkers <laughs> in any animal. It's like, come on, come on, what female does that? So, yes, these tiny, I mean, they are blobs on slides. But we're trying to, as I said, we're trying to digitise the collection. So we're going through and we're taking out all of these collections. And we are taking them to be imaged, data-based, 
and and when you say image that's the it's the stack image and so you get a nice 3d yeah, image absolutely so yeah look, they're being imaged at the moment so this is what's going on they're all off for imaging and then these lot will get imaged so we have a little job to go yet but as you can see most of the collection and this is foreign look at the little ones aren't they amazing um, the people that this is collected in 1952. I love it. It's by Jobling. I love the fact that it says Jobling. <laughs> Jobling's Jobling. And Theodore was a, a very famous collection, collector as well. But it's about time we added to these collections. So Erica's looking. So we're stood outside a very nice polished wooden case, and the, the each tray is probably a centimetre thick. And then within each of those, <coughs> there's several dozen slides with. With samples in each of those. Yeah. And then the pin. And this is the British collection. So we keep the British collection separately, obviously, because we have the most people coming from the British. Okay. How many families of bats? So, you know there's more species of fly in the UK than there are mammals on yeah. the planet. Just going to let that one <laughs> float up. Right, for our... Phoenix and mm. Do you find during the really hot summer days that these rooms are much more busy because they're temperature controlled? So, so nice, <laughs> aren't they? It's interesting because they are temperature controlled, so the humidity and temperature is whatever. Now, our Brazilian visitors are freezing, <laughs> but our Russian visitors are like, yes. We had a lovely Russian lady a couple of years back, and she was 70 or plus. It was best not to ask. And she was going up and down the ladders. And my colleague, who was her host, was really worried. And she's like, I am Russian. I have survived Siberian winters. This is nothing. And we were like, do you know what? She's probably much better than we are. So absolutely. Right. You ready for this enormous... This is the British collection of Nick Terrabeards on pins. I was going to say one tray. It's not even one tray, is it? Kind of. <laughs> so yes. So that's hippobosses, so they don't even count. So that is it. That is the pinned collection. How many are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, yeah. nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen-ish? Thirteen-ish, yes. Now obviously, most of the time now we don't keep them in pin collections. They are in pickles, yeah. as I occasionally call them, because this is a much better way of storing them. But these have now all been database, they've all gone line. And they were added to the schemes and then added to the um, Atlas of UK Observations. And what we have, though, is we have some of the pupil cases. Mm. So this is one of the species, and this is the uh, Cullinati. And these are the ones associated with tree hosts. So Myotis, Dorbentii, and those species. Yeah. So we get them there. Whereas the Biarticulata, uh, this is the one associated with cave bats, the lesser and greater horseshoe. So I need people to hang around in different environments yeah. to get these different ones. Yeah, and then there obviously the Bacillia nana is the one on the Berkstein bat. How rare is the Berkstein bat? Uh, pretty rare. Pretty rare, and that's the problem. And we think, and we, and we don't know whether that's host-specific or we do. Well, we don't think it is. We don't think any of ours are truly host-specific. Again... Let's get some data. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's a lot of recent studies coming out of Europe 
there's been good ones in Slovenia, the Crimea, all around there, and that's really good. But um, we could deal with some information here, so that would be great. Do you want to have a look at some under a microscope, actually? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. Crazy little bunkers. I swear, I do love them, because they are just so weird. Right, this is a microscope for somebody who doesn't work with proper organisms. <laughs> this is why Kate always has a curtain. <laughs> Stop doing that, Erica. <laughs> I can't help it, Kate. You just bring it out of me. Now, what's amazing about these is um, also their head. Okay, so if you have a look down the microscope, do you want me to hold that? So. When you look down the microscope, so you'll see it's quite a weird-looking creature at the best of times. And this yeah. one's slightly dishevelled because time has been not gentle to it, bless it. But So you've got the very long legs and you can see really obvious claws. It's completely yeah, yeah. adapted to living on fur. And these claws are absolutely fantastic, uh, enabling it to hold on. And it has to, absolutely, because we talked about it earlier. But what you see, it's got no wings. And therefore, it's got a very small thoracic uh, segment mm. and this is because the you know the big flight muscles are not necessary so it's much more reduced in, in, in other flies other insects etc and the head therefore when it's not feeding at rest kind of knocks back onto the back so it, yeah. you see it upwards rather than forwards as is traditional with all the other flies so yeah. it keeps its head out the way the arrangement of their bristles their hairs they have all sorts of things. These are all diagnostic features to help us. So, I mean, this one, because they're pinned, it's going to be more difficult to identify. Yeah. So this is why we prefer them in ethanol nowadays. Yeah, yeah. But tiny little eyes. I mean, they don't really need eyes. Not Harry. What was the phrase you used? Her suit, young Her man. Suit. Her suit. <laughs> I love it. They have, um, bless them, um, she will, um, obviously, because it's quite a quite a process for her to get pregnant mm. they um can copulate for 24 hours nice yeah exactly <laughs> Good to come back as one of those and what she will only give birth about four or five times okay yes so, i mean you would wouldn't you so do we know what the lifespan is not really sure of all species but some of them have been recorded for about eight months nine months it depends um if the adults get separated from their hosts some will die within several days, so it can be quite short. So, in terms of um, copulation, then, are males much more roaming around the bat colonies? How do they come across one another? No, they'll be on the same bat, oh, really? I think. Yes. So, seems a bit, a bit. Mm, I know, but um, bless him, he will be doing that. And they both, the males and the females, blood feed. Yeah. Which is unusual with blood feeding insects. Usually it's just a female who's doing it, so we think about mosquitoes and other yeah, species yeah. like that. But this is the both, and we think it's because he's got very nutrient-rich sperm. So it's another energy source for her, hence why she has such amazing offspring. 40% of your body weight. It's a lot, isn't it? It's just obscene. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, you know, there's pros and cons of these amazing creatures, and that is definitely <laughs> a con. So, oh. But she's, I, mean, she, I love it. She's described as when she comes off the bat, she will refers onto whatever the substrate is. And then the larvae, basically, it's in a pre-pupated stage. Immediately it, it emerges. 
and then it pupates there and then and she just shoves it she squashes it against the wall which is like what a mother hey it's just wonderful <laughs> and then quickly leaves it I just like I really do think we need to tell our human kids they have it very easy they have no idea how bad life can be can you imagine your mother squashing you <laughs> to the fridge and going here you go go on with it sure <laughs> see interestingly this one has got one with the larvae beside it so this is the pupil case and they've obviously dissected out the larvae mm. you see it yeah, looks yeah. really nice like like that because it's so constricted together I have to keep looking at these sample that's at the bottom of the microscope just to get a sense of how small it is that is really cool I know I mean this is it it's wonderful isn't it to see them I, I do love these species and, and here's another piece of wood next to it and you can see one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh wow a tiny little nursery so, so the bat flies yeah. have a little nursery as well as the bats so the piece of wood is probably two, three centimetres long yeah and it's quite a gnarly piece of bat fly is quite gnarly yeah. Yeah. And then there's tiny little... I'm going to hate this phrase. There's tiny, what look like miniature acorns just sort of like stuck into the wood. Yeah, no, I could go with that. Very mature acorns. <laughs> very dark brown. And this was collected in 1934. Wow. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying from High Wycombe. So we do need to kind of go out there and start collecting. And we it. think, and will that have been from inside a bat colony? Like, because obviously the bats roosted inside the tree, like a woodpecker or something. Will it have been from inside the roost rather than the outside? I presume it's going to be on the inside. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not they're not daft. <coughs> they're going to be protecting them. So yeah. So what um, what people can do is they can go online because I've now added all of these, hopefully to our database, so they can go to the NHM portal and they can see our original records. Although there's so few of them, it really doesn't matter. So um, they anything, if they can either go through iRecord, I had um, records there, but preferably specimens to me, because then yeah. I can verify them, and that would be really, really handy. Yeah. And maybe we could do some DNA from them, which nice. would be great. That's great. I had no idea there was anything like that in Batteries. See, this is the problem with you mammal people. <laughs> you just like get stuck, and it's like, no, wait, keep looking, keep looking. <laughs> so you've got to see what the uh, fleas are like, and then you've got the lice, and then you've got the bugs, and you've got all of these. We got sent some bugs recently, bat bugs, which is great because we've sequenced them. Yeah. yeah, which is amazing. And they just look like, it's like nature kind of squashes things a lot. So, like, you know, fleas are squashed one way, the bugs have been squashed another way, these have been squashed a different way. It's just like there's a lot of squashing going on. It's quite great. So yeah. you do a really good job of getting people enthused about flies, which yeah, is, which is not, you know, because they're amazing. What tips would you give us bat workers to get people, the public, enthused about creatures which are not necessarily loved by all? So, basically... Um, just talk with the heart. I, I got reminded this recently, actually. Like, you are, you asked me straight away, what's the ecological point of something? And we do this as scientists. We, we spend so much time, we've got so involved with our subject, and we, we talk about them as a secondary objects in many ways. And, you know, we say, oh, this species has been recorded here and here. Now, 
what we need to do, and I think actually what social media has done as well, is to highlight we really do love these creatures. They're wonderful, they're beautiful, they're amazing, they're weird, they're crazy. And you see people who suddenly go, put a picture online and go, okay, what, what, what is this? And you're like, ha, 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 I know, it's weird, isn't it? And then you get, remember that, you know, you have a smile when you, you, you talk about these creatures and you're like, do you know what? And we need to remember that. It's not childish to talk about our passion. And that's what I think we, we as adults, we forget. Yeah. You know, inside me, the four-year-old never got any bigger. <laughs> Genuinely, well, it grew in physical shape, definitely. But, you know, in mental shape, nah, I'm still an immature. Do giggles at things all the time. So that is my advice. Enjoy <laughs> it. Dr. Erica McAllister, it's been brilliant having you on. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Go out and collect, everyone. A huge thanks to Erica for spending her morning with me. As you heard there, the number of bat flies from the UK in the collection is really rather small, so it would be great if we could send her ectoparasite specimens from as many species of bat as possible, from as many habitats and roosts as possible. All the info you need about submitting specimens to Erica is in the show notes, along with links to pictures of bat flies and of course that now famous image by Peter Nasrecki. Just before we go, Bat Chat listener Beverly has got in touch with the show using the voicemail link that's in the show notes. Hi, my name's Beverly. I'm a volunteer with Loch Lomond Bat Group up in Scotland. Um, my role as um, education and outreach officer has involved me doing quite a few talks and walks this year for local groups. I think my favourite experience was at the end of a bat walk that I had been doing with the Loch Lomond Scouts along the side of the River Leven, which flows out of Loch Lomond. We got back to the car park where the parents were picking them up and there was a pair of bats just circling round and round a street lamp from where we started just setting the detectors off like mad clicking and buzzing and the kids could hear everything they were doing as well as having the experience of seeing them flying round their heads um, and they were thrilled wanted to take them home and I just love bats because they always put on a great show and they're amazing thank you thanks for that message Beverly I bet Loch Lomond is a fantastic place to watch bats now If you find yourself wondering what to do in between Christmas and the New Year, please do get in touch with the show to tell us about a special bat sighting you had this year or a site you think everyone should go and visit to watch bats. Whatever your story, we really want to hear from you, so do get in touch. The voicemail link is in the show notes, and don't worry, you can hear your message back and re-record it if you don't like it before sending it to us. We can't wait to hear from you. Next time, we have a really special interview for you from the Batman of Mexico, Dr. Rodrigo Medellin. I hope you all have a lovely festive break. And in the meantime, I'll leave you with a teaser from that next episode with Rodrigo. Of course I want my God, what is this? The big ears, the nose leave, the wings, everything was just blowing my mind away. So I started describing it. I said, well, I don't know. I think it may be listening for insects. So he takes that out and he puts another one and what does he do and so on and so forth. So in that one cave, I got to know the vampire bats, a couple of insectivorous bats and the lesselognos bat as well.
What did you think of this episode? If you can please leave a quick comment about the show in the ratings and review section, we'd really appreciate it. It helps other listeners to discover our podcast. 